and ask that you pray for me. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last week I tried to speak to you all from the first verse of that chapter. Paul told Timothy, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Paul, who we believe this is the last recorded book that we have uh, from his pen, is telling Timothy that I want you to know something also, that, that in the last days, in the, in the time between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ, in the period of time that will come before the end of days, I want you to know this, Timothy, and, and, and not just Timothy, but through extension, all of us here today, that perilous times are going to come. There will be seasons of heartache, seasons of of pain, seasons of difficulty, seasons of trial, hardships. That Literally, perilous times mean seasons that are just hard to bear. They're hard to get through. And he says, I want you to know that there's going to be times that will present themselves. There'll be times that, that, that come. And, and the good news about that is we talked a little bit this last week. They'll come and they'll go. If something comes, it, it could go. Um, but there will be times that come during this, these last days that will be very dangerous for the child of God, for the disciple of Christ, for the church. Maybe it will become a dangerous world in which we live. And, and certainly as we go closer to the return of Christ, you know, the, the, the funny thing about humans is we're not getting better. We just seem to be getting worse and worse. We're divided, we, you know, we, we develop and, and invent evil things. We're, um, it just seems that the days are getting more perilous as we go. But we shouldn't be shocked by that because that's what... Paul is telling Timothy is going to happen. But today, what I want to look at with you is, is the cause of these perilous times or these hard times. To answer the question, what, what causes these hard times, right? What is, the, what is the reason that these hard times will come? And you know, you can have hard times in the church. Certainly, we've seen churches that have had hard times, right? Throughout history, you can look at times when it was when the church has been persecuted unlike anything we see today. And you know that was a perilous period of time or season for the church. Nations have hard times. It seems like there's been times when the whole world has been affected by hard times. But then individually, each one of us go through perilous times when maybe I'm not going through a real hard time. Maybe Brother Mark is going through a hard time. Or maybe Brother Mark's not going through a hard time, but I'm going through a hard time. Individually, we go through perilous times in our lives. And so, you know, often the, the truth of it is, and I don't know how many of you be honest to say you agree, but we are the cause of a lot of our troubles. <laughs> you know, we want to blame other people and, and sometimes certainly other people bring about trouble in our lives, but often we are the cause of a lot of our troubles. I think we'll also see that as we look through the characteristics that are listed in verses 2 through 5, we'll see that many of those are being exhibited in our society today. So let's look at what, what, what causes perilous times uh, to come. Let's, but let's, let's just read verses 1 through 5. Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. After he tells Timothy that, that you, you better know that, that perilous times are going to come, Paul immediately answers our question of why do perilous times come? What are the cause of perilous times? Because the next verse in chapter 2, he begins by saying for or because. Here's the reason that perilous times are going to come. And notice the next word. They're very important, these first two words. Because men. Do you see that? He doesn't say because God. Notice we can't blame our hard times on God, right? He says it is because of men, because of men and women, because of, of people like me and you. And he's going to list at least, I think there's 19 different character traits, fallen traits of humanity that are going to lead to difficult times. These are all products of the fall. These are not things that God um, had in store for His people in the garden, right? They're, they weren't lovers of their own selves. They weren't false accusers. Everything was peaceful. Everything was... was um, was in harmony as God had created, but as man transgressed God's law, these, these things came into the world and they caused hard times. Have you ever heard the... Um, I've heard it said before that hard times create strong men and strong men create good times and good times create weak men and weak men create bad times. Have you ever heard that? It's kind of the circle of, of history, right? Well... Perilous times are going to come when we, as men and women, are weak and we give into our weaknesses and into our flesh because these are all works of the flesh. And when we do that, the result of our weakness, maybe our spiritual weakness, is going to be hard times in our lives if we give in to these things. Notice the first thing that he says here is that 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 men, and it's almost a, a sandwich between the love of ourselves and the love of pleasure. And then all these other traits are listed in between. And the first thing that Paul says is, is that the reason that hard times will come in the church and our lives and our nation is because men or people shall be lovers of their own selves. <laughs> the, the, first, the first thing he lists is, is that you will, be, uh, you will be so fond of yourself, you'll be so selfish, the only thing you'll be uh, interested in is your own interest. <laughs> Have you ever I've heard it said recently that the fastest growing religion in America is the worship of self. People are obsessed with themselves. Brother Sam talked about that when he was here. When you take a picture, what's the first thing you look at? Be honest. You zoom in on yourself, right? <laughs> um, we, we're self-loving. We're self-concerned. People can just be self. And you know, churches will struggle if they have selfish people, right? Um. Families are hurt. How many families have been hurt by selfish people? I heard of a, a man and a woman who had been going to marriage counseling for several months, and the counselor finally, at their last at one of their sessions, said, "Well, I've determined the problem." And she and, and the counselor looked to the wife and said, "Your husband is a narcissist." And the husband said, "Well, good. We're both in love with the same man." You get it? Well, listen, you can't have. You can't have somebody in love with just themselves and have a marriage work, can you? <laughs> you can't love yourself. Um, if, you're, if you're just, you think about it, you're, you, it won't work in your family. It wouldn't work at, at, at work. Think about a sports team. How many sports teams really gel and, and work cohesively when somebody's just obsessed with their own stats? or their mom? That doesn't work. 
And so hard times come when we become lovers of our own selves. You know, in, in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 22, there's a lawyer that comes to tempt Jesus and he says, what's the greatest commandment of the Old Testament? What's the greatest commandment? And the first thing that Jesus says is he says, you're to love, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your might. And he says, the second is like unto it that you love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commandments, the two greatest commandments, Jesus says. That you love God with everything you have, and then you love your neighbor as yourselves. Notice he never, Jesus said, he didn't say, here's the third one, and you love yourself. Because the, the honest truth is, most of us don't have a problem loving ourselves, do we? <laughs> How many of you have a problem showing yourself grace and mercy? I don't. <laughs> um, but think about loving God. We have, we have trouble loving God with all our heart, don't we? And you know, God, God didn't give that commandment to Israel in Deuteronomy 6 so, just so that He could get all the glory. He's, he is, now He's concerned. He's a jealous God and He wants the glory, right? But He knew it was good for His people that they love Him above them. That they love God more than they love their things or more than they love their lives. Because when you, when you devote yourself all you have to God, things will just go well. They may not be easy. Um, it may not be exactly what you want, but through the, through the midst of any trial or any uncertainty that comes your way, life will be easier if you're devoted to God. And so that's why God gives them that command. And then to love your, your neighbor? Um, think about how much easier it is if you loved everybody you came across just like you love yourself. <laughs> if you showed them the grace that you show yourself, you showed them the mercy, you were, you were able to sacrifice for others, whether it be your family members, your friends, your neighbors, or people you don't... You know, the Bible talks about loving your wife, talks about loving your, your, your neighbor, talks about loving your enemy. So we have no excuses, do we? And, and the reason that is, if you would do that society or your life or your church or just your, your neighborhood, whatever it may be, it would all run smoother if we didn't just love ourselves, but we love God and others. And so the first thing he says here that causes hard times is, 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 a, is a love for self, a selfish attitude. And that'll ruin so many things. Then the next thing he says is, is covetousness. He says that they will be lovers of their own selves. They will be covetous. And, and that goes with loving yourself. Look at if you, if, I'm just going to flip over to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6 for just a moment. Because to be covetous is, is really to have an, an unbalanced desire to accumulate wealth and property, right? There, there's nothing, we all want to make money, right? We, we go to work, we want to survive, we want to have something to store away, we, we want to, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house, a, a good car, a place to live. But when those things become the desire of your life, you, you've, you've, you've got it backwards, right? And so Paul, listen in first, first Timothy, when Paul was writing to Timothy the first time, the sixth chapter, he begins in verse 7, this. he says, we have brought nothing into the world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? Especially in our world today. He says, but they that will be rich, those that desire to be rich, listen to what happens. They fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Those who are covetous of desire and gain, he says they're going to, 
to drown themselves in destruction and perdition. What is he saying? Perilous times, right? He says, for the, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. One of the, one of the craziest things about it is some of the people with the most money are the most miserable because they want more and more and more. It'll never be enough. And he says one of the things that'll cause hard times in your life is covetousness. Then he says boasters. Not only do they love their own selves, they're covetous, they're boasters. Um, there's, there's a proverb, I think it's Proverbs 22, it says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. <laughs> the, the, writer, the writer of Proverbs is basically saying, you can't even boast about what's going to happen tomorrow because you're not in control of even the next day. Think about that. So, to, to be a boaster is to be someone who brags, someone who's, who is desirous of vain glory. They want the glory for themselves. You can see how hard, you, you, can, you can start to get the idea of how these perilous times are brought about by self-interest. All these are flowing from an interest for yourself and not for others. And so he says, he says that, that boasting brings about hard times. You know, boasting has invaded um, almost everything, even religion. Is, is, is invaded with boasting. Even Christianity. Um, you know what Paul said in, in, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he's talking about our very own salvation. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should what? Anyone? Boast, right? To brag. To have some kind of vain glory about what you did. He says, for by grace are you saved. For by grace are you saved. And you say, but, but even, even today you can hear people talk about what, but what they have done to earn or to merit salvation in some way. And I'm going to tell you, if, if there's any boasting in, in, in your uh, view of soteriology, it's going to lead to hard times. <laughs> if nothing else, mentally hard times. Because if there's anything that you say that you have done to earn merit with God, the devil will attack that. And if you're honest with yourself, you will lose your assurance of any salvation you ever had. See, when you can, when you can let go and say, I am saved by grace through faith, and even, 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 even the faith I possess and the faithfulness to save me was not my own. It was Christ's. There's nothing in it. If there's any, if there's, if there will be any boasting in heaven, it will not be about something I did. I'll be bragging on God. Y'all think that's the truth? And if you, and if you begin to believe that and embrace that, then the devil can't attack your assurance of, am I really saved? Because it's not based on what I do. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on my faithfulness. It's based on his. Oh, so many. I wish I wish I could. I wish that message could go out because there there are many people in our world who are who, who mentally are facing perilous times because they can't feel the assurance that some of you feel who have just given your life over to Christ. He says they'll be boasters. And he says they'll be proud. In verse four, he says they'll be high minded. That means they'll be they'll be. Basically, they will believe that they are better than others. They'll be, they'll be puffed up. They'll be haughty. One of, the, one of the definitions that I found of high-minded is to be blinded 
by your pride. We see that every, we see that in ourselves, don't we? <laughs> I mean, it's easy to go. I feel like we're in. I mean, you hear so much about pride these days, and and listen, all that is going to lead to destruction. Um, because it all stems from a love of yourself. The Bible, if, if there's one Christian virtue that the Bible always extols, it is never, it's not pride, it's humility. Um, the, the Bible never speaks of pride in a good way, but it always speaks of humility. If there's one thing you could cultivate in your life, it's humility. Some of y'all thinking, well, Brother Josh, it's hard to be humble when you're me. <laughs> no, if you, if, if that's your attitude, watch out. Hard times are on the way. <laughs> um, listen to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 19. It says, It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly. The lowly. Not the high class, the lowly. Than to divide the spoil with the proud. How many of us really believe that, right? How many of us really believe that, that I would rather be around those of insignificance, those humble people tend to, tend to divide the spoils, the riches, the fame of those that are proud. If, if, you, if you believe that proverb and live that proverb, I think you'll find peace. Because hard times come on those who are boasters, who, who are prideful, who are high-minded. They're proud. They're blasphemers. To be blasphemous is to speak ill of God. And I would almost challenge any of you to find a find you a TV show that doesn't have some kind of blasphemy in it today. <laughs> it's all over the media. It's all over our academics. It's so common to blaspheme God. I mean, it's it's just it's so commonplace that it's everywhere. It's invaded even our our language. And so no wonder that our society is in the mess. That it's if you ever wonder, like, how did we get where we are? This is how we got there, right? <laughs> uh, because people are blasphemers. Then he says, Listen, you would think this one wouldn't be in the list. Disobedient to parents. <laughs> one of the reasons that hard times come upon a people or a nation or a church or society is because the children are disobedient to their own parents. They can't be controlled, they're not compliant to what they say. There's no respect for Authority. That's one of the reasons that a society fails, is because there's no obedience in the home. Listen, listen, listen to um, Ephesians chapter six with me. If there's children here today under the uh, under the um, you know the influence and, and and under the the roof of your parents' home, listen to what it says. It says children. Paul writing to children some two thousand years ago, still just as good today. He says children. You want to do what's right? He says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. You know, a lot of times we say, what, what can we do for the Lord? Well, if you're a child, you can obey your parents. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And he says, honor your father and your mother. Verse 3, he says, why, why do we do this? First of all, because God said to do it. But it, here Paul says that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Things will go better when you obey your parents. <laughs> and, and, and listen, parents should teach their children that things will go better when you obey your parents. 
One of the things that it says disobedience to parents, it's not, that's not, that's not, Paul's not placing the blame on the children. He's placing the blame on the parents. Y'all know that, right? Um, it, that's, 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 that's not just an indictment against children. That's an indictment against the parents where hard times will come because as parents, it is our job to make sure they understand My dad's not here today. He's usually here. I know growing up as a child, now I was never, I'm, I was not the perfect child by any stretch of the imagination, but he did a good job of making me understand it was in my best interest. <laughs> Even if I didn't want to obey, <laughs> it was in my best interest that I obey. <laughs> Some people just, you just need that, right? <laughs> Um, and children will understand quickly that it is in their best interest to obey. But one of the best ways you can guarantee hard times for your family is for weak parents. One of the best ways you can guarantee that you will have perilous times. He says disobedient to parents. Listen to the next one. You know, I struggled. How do you preach this? Because it's so, it can be kind of depressing, right? One time I tried to preach through Galatians 5 and the works of the flesh, and by the time I got done with that sermon, it was years ago, I was, I just thought, I'll never preach again. This is so sad. <laughs> you kind of feel that way here, don't you? But he says, unthankful. You know, I think one of the reasons I don't like all this is because I see so much of it in me from time to time. Unthankful. I wrote this, I wrote this quote down. It was from... Um, Albert Barnes is a Presbyterian minister. I read his commentary on the Bible a good bit. And, and, and he, I won't read the whole thing, but he said that, it, that an unthankful, you know, to be unthankful is to be ungracious. It's to, it's to, to have no gratitude for, for, first of all, for God's blessings in your life, right? But also the blessings of others in your life. Um, how many of you like to do something for someone I mean, we can be honest, maybe this is a problem on our own part because we're looking for some kind of, we're doing things selfishly. But how many of you like to do something for someone and they don't, they don't even recognize it like it was anything? Do y'all love that? Think about how God feels. Like I said, that may show more about our, isn't it amazing? It's, I feel like I can do nothing in this life that's not infected some way by my own sinfulness. I've probably told y'all this before. I've got a neighbor. He goes out of town a lot, and, and he'll tell me to watch out for his house. And so I will. <laughs> and, um, and one day he had come back in. He'd already, I knew he was home, but his can was still out, his trash can. And so I thought, well, I'll get Mr. Mark. That's his name. I said, I'll get Mark the trash can and, and roll it down there. Well, that's when I found out his truck was there. I didn't realize he's already home, but as I rolled it down his driveway, I saw his truck. He was back. And on the walk back up the driveway, I, honestly, I thought to myself, I, I wish he'd see me right now. <laughs> like doing such a nice thing for him. Because even our good efforts are infected by sin, right? But how many of y'all, somebody does something for you and, you, and you, you act like you're entitled to it? Well, how do you think God feels about that? And so Albert Barnes says that, um, he says, 
He says that is an indication of a society that is in decline of religion or Christianity. He says religion or Christianity is what he means by that, makes us grateful to every benefactor, to God and to man. See, the thing that would make us more thankful is probably a return to true Christianity, right? It's hard, it's hard to be a, a Christian and not be thankful for anything that God has done for you, much less the salvation of your own soul, right? Unthankful. He says unholy. That, just, that, that means that they will be wicked, that there will be evil practices that will be given over to vice. And that will always lead to perilous times. Verse 3, listen to the next thing he says, without natural affection. It literally means that you you will have um, be hard heart. I think the definition that I that I found the best one was hard hearted towards your own kindred. This week, speaking of neighbors, my it was um, Monday Monday morning, and um, we heard a commotion outside, and a baby deer had gotten in my next door neighbor's fence, but couldn't figure out how to get out. And they'd let their dog out, not knowing the deer was out there. And it caused a great commotion. And it took a while to get the deer to figure out how to get out. But the thing that I was thinking about the whole time is the, is the, the mother of the deer was behind the fence. And normally, and we see deer all the time at our house, but if I walk out there, they run, right? But as we walked out there that time, its baby was in the fence and it didn't go anywhere. It was trying to get in to get them both out. It had a natural affection for its child. In Isaiah, I think it's verse four, I think it's chapter forty-nine, when the Lord is saying that He won't, He will not leave, He will not leave His people. He asked, He asked the question, "Can a can a woman forget her sucking child? <laughs> can can?" Can, could she not have compassion on the son of her womb? And the answer is yes, that could happen, but I will not leave you. When we look out and we see fatherless homes are at an all-time high. People um, abandoning their children. People fighting for the, for the rights of abortion. You, you just say, you no wonder we're in the perilous times that we seem to be in. It's because people have even lost their natural affection for their own family. You know, you should have some kind of natural affection for your own. <laughs> Much less being sociable to those around you or in your church. And he says that's a, that is a sign of the last days and of perilous times is that people will be without natural affection. Truce breakers, they'll, they'll violate any covenant or agreement. Um, once again, Albert Barnes said, nothing would be more indicative of the lowest state of degradation than that in which all compacts and agreements were utterly disregarded. You know, you hear times of, a, of, a, of, an, of an older day and maybe a, a different time where a man's handshake was all you needed to get something done now, right? Well, now the best contracts by the best lawyers in the world, how many of you have real faith in that? Because we're truce breakers. We're... We we're, we're, we we will violate our own word. Then he says, false accusers. 
That word's translated 35 times as, as devil. It means to be slanderous. It's somebody who, it's really somebody who starts fights, who causes division. That'll lead to trouble. Now here's one that I want to spend just a minute on. After false accusers, he says incontinent. And that, that word means that, that you do not have the strength to resist temptation or you do not have self-control. And, and over the last several years, I've thought so much because really self-control is key in life. It's so, so key. Um, last night, I, I made a deal with Bo that as long as he stayed up and into the Alabama game, <laughs> that he could stay up with me as long as the game took. And he did his part. <laughs> and I did my part, but Alabama didn't do their part. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I walked in every Grace's room as they were going to bed, and I walked back in Bo's room. And it was the first time we've just really watched the whole game together. He, we weren't distracted. And, um, of course, we are both pulling for Alabama. And... Um, I walked in his room, he was almost asleep, and I said, I said, sorry, I know some of y'all don't listen after the preacher says these ugly words, but I said, roll tide, buddy. Um, I said, I'm sorry it didn't work out for us. And he said, that's okay, Dad, I can't control their players. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sense of if I'd have been out there, we'd have done better. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of adults that should have that kind of attitude. <laughs> But the truth is, you can't control many people, but you can control yourself. Um, it's, it's called discipline. And I've said this here before. You can't be a disciple without discipline. Because sometimes you're not going to want to read your Bible. Sometimes you're not going to want to pray your prayers or come to church or, you know, do the things you're supposed to do, Right? We're talking in simple terms. But the but there were times that I, there were times that Peter and Paul and John probably didn't want to do the things they had to do, but they had the discipline to do it, right? And so one of the one of the one of the, the main reasons that hard times enter our lives is because we don't have the discipline to do the things we should do, or the discipline not to do the things that we shouldn't do. We lack self-control. And if there's, there's probably nobody else in this world you can control other than yourself. He says they'll be fierce, cruel. You know, just before this, in the 24th verse of, of 2 Timothy chapter 2, he speaks of the servant of the Lord. He says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. That they would be gentle. Here he says that perilous times are, are brought about by those who are fierce to their fellow man, not gentle. Then he ends the third verse by saying, Despisers of those that are good. They despise or they are, they are opposed to good 
people. I think I quoted this last week. It's from Isaiah chapter 5. And he says, um, he says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put light for darkness and darkness for light. There, there is a there's a huge risk to perilous times when when good people are made the enemy. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And I, and I don't think I've never seen it. in my opinion when I look out at at our society today, it seems like they're making good people the enemy and the evil people the hero. It's upside down. And that leads to hard times. Hard times. It says traitors. Verse 4. It's people that, that are betrayers. Heady. This goes back into a lack of, of self-control. When, you're, when you're, you're, you're rash in your action, you, you, don't have, you don't have the self-control not to just rush into things that your emotions tell you to rush into. Leads to hard times. High-minded, we've already talked about that one. Listen to this last one. It says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He says, this, see, this is kind of the, if, if it's two bookends where you start with lovers of their own selves, that leads to people being covetous and boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient and unthankful and unholy going on and on and on and on up into the other bookend where it says they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Because if you love yourself more than God, then you want to please yourself more than God, right? He says they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers. They want luxury. They want um, pleasure. They want excess. They want um, you know, a pain-free and pleasant life more than... To a greater degree, then they want to be pleasing God. Now, how many of us can can say we've been there before? We've chosen maybe our own will or our own desires over what God would have for us because that brought us more pleasure than pleasing God. We've all done it. But here's the here's the truth of the matter: is like if you live your life in the pursuit of pleasure, it will always end in misery because you'll never find it. It'll never be lasting. It'll never satisfy you. But if you live your life in the pursuit of God, you'll find pleasure and satisfaction. It may not be the kind of pleasure that you're looking for or, or the, the kind of sensual pleasure that, that Paul's talking about here that gratifies our sin nature. But if you can push that away and try to please God and try to um, run to God and seek God and you, and you live your life in a way in pursuit of God, there, you've never met anyone that was all out in pursuit of God that at the end of their life they said, I, am, I have lived an unfulfilled life. Never. Have you ever met anyone that says, my life was going downhill. But I, I repented and I got back in the church and I started reading my Bible and I started praying and I started living for others and I started living for God and it got so much worse. 
Have y'all ever heard that? Now, I've heard people say my life was going bad and I tried this or I tried that and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. But you've never heard anybody say, I devoted my life to God and it just got terrible. And their situ here's the thing about it. Their situation may not have changed. They may have still lost the job. They may have still had the cancer. The marriage might have failed. But in the end, they were more satisfied because they were looking for satisfaction in Him, not in other things. I want to read to you from Proverbs 21, verse 17. It says, He that loves pleasure shall be a poor man. Does that mean their bank account will be low? No. Does that mean they won't have multiple homes or, or, or extravagant cars? No. But it means they will be left empty and lacking and wanting something that they do not have. But I want to read to you from Psalm 16, verse 11. Second part of that verse, it says, At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Probably the, the sweetness, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that many of us lack is not found in a pursuit of our pleasures, but is found at the pursuit of God. And, and who is at the right hand of God? today Christ right it's a pursuit of Christ and you'll find that as you pursue Christ and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as you pursue Christ more than your pleasures you will find more satisfaction you will find more peace you will find more joy and you will find that even if perilous times come they're not as bad to handle if you're searching for Christ and not pleasure he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the pleasure thereof or the power thereof from such turn away. Maybe we'll look at that verse next. Next week. You know, there's so many things out there that are deceiving. There's so many things out there that they entrap you, don't they? They look so beautiful. They look so good. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. <laughs> we have to be careful because there's a part of us that desires every one of these traits that was listed in these verses. So we have to be careful and we have to turn from those. And maybe we'll talk about that next Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the warnings of Scripture. We know that all Scripture is given by Your inspiration. And part of that is to reprove us, to correct us, to instruct us. And so, Lord, if there's any of these things that we see in us, and we know that there are, I pray, God, we will, we will seek Your Holy Spirit. We will seek Your Word. We will seek Your people. And we will seek to eradicate those things from our lives so that we can live the kind of lives that You have called Your people to. God, we, we repent of our love for ourselves and, and our love for our own pleasure above our love for You. Help us not to be hypocritical. Help us not to be lazy in our pursuit of You, but help us to be true disciples. Help us to have the discipline it takes to do the things that it takes to follow You. 
May you grant us that power from on high. Lord, again, I pray that you will open up doors for those who, who, who believe that there is something that they have done or that they must do for your finished work to be effective in their lives. Lead us to those people and show them that Christ is enough, that Christ was victorious, that Christ was successful, and we are waiting on Christ to return to ransom us all home. God, I pray that you'll be with all of us this week as we head out into this world. Keep us focused on you and living for each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a song at this hymn. Give, uh, at this time, sing a hymn. Give the opportunity, if there's any here that wants to unite with this church, you can come forward and let that be known. Um, Brother Joshua, Brother Taylor, do you have a song for us?